Hi everyone and welcome to the Overeaters Anonymous 100 Pounders Special Focus Meeting. Today is Wednesday the 12th of July 2023 and we are delighted to have our speaker Mark D with us today. Mark came into our way in June 2017. He grew up in Dublin City Centre but now lives in Nath County Kildare. Mark, we look forward to hearing your experience, strength and hope. I hand over to you. Great. Thanks so much, Lee. And, you know, and, you know, to the likes of Susie, who's our first ever meeting, you know, welcome home. This really is the place to be. And this is where I found, you know, a real path to a, a, a lasting, true recovery that gave me this emotional sobriety, this emotional recovery, because at the end of the day, this is an emotional illness that just kind of manifests itself through um, food and kind of, you know, what, what happened for me was, you know, and I'll, I'll explain all of this was that, you know, I, I, I kind of, you know, more or less from as soon as I was born, I, my relationship with food was, you know, extremely disordered right from the get-go and so I do believe that I was born with this but like look if not it was when I was extremely young and you know it, again that, that's sort of you know maybe just to give sort of some of the numbers uh, my heaviest as uh, you know in and around 20 stone I don't know that's 280 pounds I don't know kind of if that was the heaviest I ever was I know that if I possibly was heavier I know at my lightest, and again, I'll, I'll talk about some of the crazy behavior that I kind of indulged in. I kind of went down to, you know, a very, very low weight of about 130 to 140 pounds. And now I remain a very constant kind of 155 to 160 pounds. And, you know, I, I really want to just try and get across what, what I've done to remain where I'm at and, and and to remain in recovery, but just a little bit of, you know, a bit about me. So, you know, as as uh, Lee said, I um, grew up in Dublin. I grew up in inner city Dublin in an area uh, just right beside Sheriff Street, which uh, was known by the local police as Beirut. It was mad. It was absolutely mad. It was crazy. Uh, but I grew up in a very, very loving home with very, very loving parents. Um, I was the youngest of four boys. And, um, I, you know, as I was growing up, um, you know, there, there was a lot of, um, you know, a, a, a massive heroin epidemic hit kind of, you know, Dublin and especially inner city Dublin and of the people I went to primary school with you know that's kind of up to the age of what about you know 11 12 years of age there was 18 in that class and 16 are dead primarily because of addiction and mostly because of drug overdoses and you know also just to say I am I'm also a recovering alcoholic as well and again I, I I'll talk a little bit about that because that's actually quite important in my food story but again this is about food but you know I when I was about six I had an accident that was kind of very very life-changing um I slid down the banisters and honestly 
um, it was the very first time that I slid down the banisters and uh, I was about six years old and I kind of fell uh, from the banisters onto this like rock hard floor and I fractured my skull uh, on the way to the um, on the way to the hospital, uh, where I was absolutely just rushed to hospital, um, I was actually pronounced dead. And my, my parents were actually told that I was dead. But, you know, and again, I don't know what happened to me. They, they were able to, you know, bring me back to life. I just remember this doctor standing over me, you know, this big, bright, shiny light. And he just said, you're going to be OK. And I, I don't know that I just drifted back off into more or less unconsciousness. But, you know, again, then when I was kind of around um, seven, uh, my mother got very, very sick. And my mother had this, um, you know, she had to have one of her lungs removed. And because I was the youngest of four boys, I was the last to know. I was told this the day before my mother went into the hospital. And like I was devastated. But, you know, it, it then kind of, you know, but my food was already out of control at this stage. I was already <clears throat> eating as much as my parents would more or less allow me to eat. And then, you know, my dad has an incredible <laughs> sweet tooth and he'd kind of slip me extra chocolate and all that sort of stuff. But <clears throat> when it came to me making my communion, which is this kind of religious thing at about the age of, you know, between around seven years old, if I remember correctly, um, I was brought to get my suit for making my communion and you know, my mother had me in the kids uh, area looking for a suit. Lo and behold, not one of them fit me. She got somebody to measure me and I had this 32 inch waist. My mother was absolutely horrified and the, like the shame of being brought over to the adult section, the horror on my mother's face. My mother then started having all these phone calls and people calling to the house and again, all these whispers and whatever else. And I just remember, and to this day, that still brings up, you know, kind of memories of uh, shame and whatever else. And shame is a, a really, really horrible place to be but that that didn't stop me eating if anything it possibly made me worse and again you know when it came to food i would do anything to you know feed my addiction to food and you know again i stole from my brothers you know i have three brothers that are older kind of two of them would have been walking at that stage and again i you know i'm not very proud of that you know whatsoever but because of my mother's illness and because my mother it was a very very long recovery and whatever else you know it, I was hiding in plain sight and my weight you know gain just was going well kind of not unnoticed but kind of it was like <laughs> there's bigger kind of issues going on here uh, so I was kind of hiding in plain sight. And the other, and the other way that I was able to you know, put on all this weight as well was because um, as the youngest, as the first home from school, somebody had to make the dinners and that was me. And, you know, additional stuff was put into the pot. It didn't make it to anybody else bar me. So I was just, you know, any food I could um, get my hands on, money wasn't in very plentiful supply whatsoever so this was the cheapest of the cheap 
cheapest of, you know, food and whatever else. And, you know, and again, so it was just quantity. It was just, uh, you know, all of that kind of horrible stuff. But, you know, then kind of, um, you know, it, it, a little while later, kind of when I was about, um, you know, 11 or 12 years old, I kind of, you know, really got into music and whatever else. And it it was, you know, it, I, you know, I started, um, I, I kind of found alcohol because it was involved in this kind of, you know, brass band. And, you know, I was the youngest in the group. Most people were of drinking age and whatever else. But I was kind of, you know, kind of five foot nine, five foot ten. And people just assumed I was in around the same age as them. And because the the alcohol did the same thing as the food and it turned down that noise in my head I kind of thought wow this is this is fantastic so there I was you know drinking eating and you know I thought this was absolutely fantastic but again you know so I drank as frequently as I could you know all the way through school you know but you know when I got to kind of 17 18 years old when I was about to go to college I kind of said, hey, look, you know, if I want to have relationships with 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 uh, with with a woman, you know, I'm I'm gonna have to, you know, my image management really kind of kicked in. And I kind of said, Oh, I wanna lose weight. So I started getting involved in, you know, in, you know, kind of getting out there and getting active. And the weight was falling off me, and my parents were delighted. But then the weight stopped coming off me. And then I realized if I stopped eating, the weight then would start coming off again, which it did. And, it, you know, again, my parents were absolutely delighted by this. So it, they weren't quite egging me on, but that's kind of it was giving me permission to do this. But again, you know, a little while later, then, you know, I, you know, I was walking. I, um, I started going out with this uh, girl. Um, she she's now my wife, but you know she's not my wife. She wasn't my girlfriend. I took a hostage, and she was a hostage to my food, to my very disordered relationship with food. Of you know not eating for very long periods of time, then binge eating, then alcohol having the the same kind of chronic effect and it then was even getting into the bartering system of look mark will you please eat and you can have these beers <laughs> you know it, 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 this was just mad and and that's the way our relationship very sadly went and my wife didn't really know how bad the drinking was and all of that she kind of had some idea the food wasn't quite where it should be but again you know that's that's just the way it went and you know a, a little while later then you know my alcoholism was absolutely out of control my food was absolutely out of control i was still somehow managing to hold down a job and you know my wife had given me every ultimatum under the sun and again it, you know, there there was just no way that um you know I was listening. And I'd gone down to I was skin and bones, you know, I, I looked very unhealthy, you know, I'd had liver function tests done, they weren't looking so good either. 
And, you know, so I was really, really on my way out. My wife still shows me an email that she sent to an undertaker to find out how much it was going to cost to bury me because she knew this was coming. She knew this was on the way. But there was uh, one morning. I don't remember this. Um, I kind of I saw that I had a missed call from my mother and um, I went to ring her back the next day. Um, and uh, I rang her back and I was drunk and it was very early in the morning. And um, so she rang my sister-in-law who lives right next door to us and said, look, I think Marcus had a seizure. Another thing I developed thanks to my eating disorder uh, and the bang on the head that I got and probably the alcoholism as well. But certainly eating disorders can um, cause people to have seizures. Uh, but so my mother thought that I'd actually had a seizure and uh, that I was sort of still very groggy or whatever else. So my sister-in-law came in to me with her, what, maybe four-week-old baby in her arms and I abused her and I told her to go and, you know, her ideas of how I am, blah, 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 and she could go and take a running jump, basically. I don't remember any of this, but she rang my mother, told me I was okay, rang my wife and said, Mark's as drunk as a lord. It's early in the day. Something really needs this. There's something really badly wrong here. So I was whisked off into a treatment center. And when I arrived at a treatment center, I absolutely was in full admission that, yeah, I drank excessively and to, to extreme amounts. But I didn't tell them about the food. I didn't mention the food in any way, shape or form, because they could have the alcohol. I was keeping the food because the food was my security blanket. That was the security blanket. That was my go to from the very early ages of, of, of my very existence as a person. And it was the other people I was in the treatment center um, with. They're the ones who actually realized there's something very odd with his eating. And they reported me. And they, I, this all then had to be looked at. And um, I I remember I was then basically, I, I wasn't asked, I was told to start going to eating disorder meetings. <laughs> so my my first, um, you know, OA meeting that I went to, it, it, I was being, I was told to go to it. But as it happens, I was sitting in that meeting and I was, you know, pontificating out of me all about, no, 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 nothing really wrong with my food, blah, blah, blah. My sponsor was at that meeting. And my sponsor, um, there was something just that really attracted me to what they were saying and, and one or two others. But, uh, and I, but I still kind of went, no, 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 I, I, this eating disorder thing. But I, I looked at my food and yeah, look, by the time I left that treatment center, I had some sort of, you know, admission, probably very little acceptance around uh, having an eating disorder. But hey, look, you know, I at least I was involved in OA. Then I started going to more and more OA meetings and I heard the message. I heard people doing a chair like what I'm doing now. And I actually started identifying with people and going, oh, actually, yeah, maybe. And I heard somebody tell, but not quite the same story, but you know, very, very similar. And that, obsess that obsession 
that you know you know that allergy of the body the twist of the mind you know step one you know dr silk this was you know what i mean i had this and i really really had to you know get that you know the admission and the acceptance that i had an eating disorder and you know and if you know as i said at the start this is an emotional illness and what i've come to learn and has been said to me told to me learned and again this is all through working with a sponsor and you know going to meetings and you know introspectively looking at myself is every time there's something wrong with me absolutely without fail it's that my emotions and feelings are kicking off it's and that's the thing then that sets the that the madness in my head kind of going again and you know it it's just you know, when when i when i think of that and you know again because i wasn't really able to do sports in school and stuff i was quite a high achiever in school and you know all of that and i was earning a lot of money and i kind of thought i had this made i was the big shot blah 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 and i was gonna absolutely analyze this to within an inch of its life and work out where this all came from and whatever but to accept that i have an eating disorder i don't know where that came from and i to be honest i don't actually care where it actually came from but there's a particular part in the big book and it's on page 45 where it's like lack of power that was our dilemma we had to find a power by which we could live and that power had to be greater than ourselves but obviously how were we to find this power well that's exactly what this book is about its main objective is to enable you to find a power greater than yourself which will solve your problem and I, I loved the way at the start of the meeting, the way that it was like, yeah, look, if there's a newcomer, if there's somebody who's new in the room, you know, we'll send you out the literature, we'll send you out that big book. This is the book that has the message that saved not only my life, but the life of the people around me, the, the emotional wellness that they have as a result of me being in recovery. I know a lot of people in recovery and their lives have changed absolutely immeasurably as a result of them being in recovery. Hey, look, my my emotional sobriety, not every day is it is it absolutely wonderful and fantastic. And, you know, as as I keep on saying to people, ask my wife how I am today. Don't ask me because she'll be able to tell you, you know, whether I'm good, bad or indifferent. And, you know, it wasn't only the binge eating that I did. I was also a binge thinker. And again, it's that trying to think my way out of a problem. And that's why 10-step calls are so, so important. Them outreach calls, that's, you know, pop your number in the chat, you know, get because when our thinking goes off, we need to talk to somebody who has the same illness as us and they're able to then kind of, you know, talk you down off the ledge, kind of, so to speak. But a, a man I know, he, he, he says this every time, and this is why he has loads of phone numbers, is not everybody is sane on the same day. So if you ring somebody and they're mad the same day you're mad, hang up and ring the next person. 
because there's probably a good chance that they're in not too bad of a place that day and they'll you know be able to help you and you know getting that power greater than you i came into this an absolute placard carrying atheist or agnostic I was so stupid, I didn't realize what an atheist or an agnostic was, but I was, you know, saying all of this stuff out loud. When I when I think back, it's it's kind of quite funny. But again, one of the counselors said to me, Look, Mark, if you don't get yourself a higher power, you're absolutely um, you can put in whichever expletive uh, fits whatever's going on in your mind. And um so I used my dad as my higher power at the start because my dad was a very, very, very spiritual man, incredibly well-read on spiritual matters. And he's a man who never lied to me, never, ever, ever lied to me. And I went, wow, that, that will do. And I remember I was about maybe four or five months in recovery. I was walking down Grafton Street in Dublin and I was going to turn right to go to an early morning AA meeting and the church bell went. And the church bell went. And for some reason, I decided to go to the church service. And uh, I just whatever happened, it, it, that my higher power changed over to, to God. But again, that's that's only for me. Once you have a power greater than you in your life, that that will really, really, really help. And it's funny because what really started getting my mind rolling on this was I heard a man doing a chair and he was very open about how he had this wonderful relationship with his higher power. This was an AA meeting. I found out later on that that man doing that chair is actually a member of this wonderful, great fellowship as well. And again, the wonderful comfort when I saw him in a room and I'm there going like, wow, this is just, you know, beyond belief that that, that, that changed so, so, so much for me. And, you know, when, when it says in the big book about that, you know, that, you know, I was inwardly, I was inwardly reorganized and on a different footing. And, you know, when I think of the spiritual growth that I've gotten, the emotional security, the emotional sobriety that I've gotten as a result of this, you know, program, it's absolutely, you know, unbelievable. And, you know, the, this for me, you know, I know it was read out at the start about, you know, what are the, you know, core parts of the program. And, you know, I'll, I'll just talk you through what for me are, are the core things that I did for, for me to get well. And they are so, so aligned with what was read out earlier in the meeting. I was kind of smiling when they were being read out. And, you know, first off, I had to get into the program. Uh, the program is your meetings. We're on a meeting. We're, 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 you know, oh, sorry, not the program. Sorry, the, um, the fellowship. So we're at a fellowship meeting here and the fellowship is absolutely wonderful. But if you want to improve your recovery, if you want to kind of start going to that place where you, you, you start getting this emotional sobriety, you need to do the program 
And the program of them 12 steps that were so wonderfully read out earlier as well. And the way to do that is to get yourself a sponsor. And your sponsor needs to be in recovery. Your sponsor needs to have the same illness that you have. And, you know, your sponsor should ideally have a sponsor as well. And, you know, by, by doing that, that absolutely, you know, absolutely was a game changer, an absolute huge game changer for me. And, you know, like, again, a thing I had to do before embarking on that journey and a thing that thankfully the, the treatment center helped me a lot with and my sponsor helped me a lot with was there's this concept and idea of red and green foods. And the red foods are, if I eat that, I'm going to binge. That will set me off. And to know what your red foods are, your green foods, what can I eat? What can I eat safe? And again, that I can eat safely, develop, have a meal plan around that. And, you know, to, to kind of, for me, to eat at the you know same time each day is, is how I do that. I know there's also this talk of uh, you you hear people talking about you know maybe amber foods which are I can eat in moderation but I really have to be very mindful. I I personally because of the black and white thinking of being an addict, I can't go into that amber gambler sort of thing of oh i might just try my hand at something there that i i know could set me off and that's what brings me the 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 neutrality around food and i look at my red and green food lists on uh at the start pretty early uh, at the start of recovery i looked at that very regularly but now i look at it every maybe kind of three months four, six months, whatever it might be, because sometimes you might say, God, am I, am I eating a bit too much of that and to maybe see, well, maybe that needs to go on to the red list. And, you know, again, another thing that another tip that I got in the treatment center was if you're going out shopping, bring a shopping list with you and only stuff that's on that shopping list ends up in your basket. I remember being in a particular supermarket and uh, they were doing a buy one, get one free on a particular product. I had one of them in my basket. The lovely lady who was serving me, she started saying, oh, there, buy one, get one free. Uh, go back and get yourself a second one. And I said, no, no, not interested. Don't want the second one. She said, no, look, I'll run back and get it for you. And I ended up screaming at her and going absolutely mad. And so like that's where I was I, I fell off that that beam, that recovery beam. Thankfully, I didn't make it out of the supermarket before my conscience kicked in and said, Mark, you're a lunatic. What's going on for you? And I went back and I promptly apologized to that lady and I said, Hey, look, I'm I'm really, really sorry. I was absolutely completely and utterly out of order. And you, you were just trying to do your job and be very, very kind. And so again, you know, that kind of step one, the admission, the acceptance, that 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 is absolutely fundamental and key. The other fundamental key part is that step three, handing it over, handing our will and our lives over to a God of our own understanding. Again, I 
every single day I do that. I don't get it right every single day because quite frequently I'm back in control, driving the bus and, you know, I give God the day off. So, you know, I, I don't always get that right, but more days than not, I, 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 I do get that right at, well, at least kind of for quite a portion of the day, I get that right. Again, that's step four and five, hold nothing back. When I talked to my sponsor and asked them to be my sponsor, they said, Mark, I will help you. <clears throat> I will move heaven and earth to try and help you get recovery as long as you're brutally honest. And you can tell me absolutely anything for as long as you're brutally honest. <clears throat> and when I was doing step four, there was two things that I was taking to the grave with me. And then words from my sponsor, when I was writing that out on a Saturday morning, kept on ringing in my head. I said, I, I can't, I can't not put them in there. And I wrote them down and te tears streaming down my face. And the, the relief, the relief I got, even just by writing it out. But I remember giving it away to my sponsor and my sponsor for some of it, again, I don't go into graphic detail. My sponsor was holding my hand when I was giving that away. And that was part of setting me free and setting me, rocketing me into that fourth dimension that's talked about in the big book. And again, this is, you know, this was fundamental to, to my recovery. I, I now have a peace and a serenity that I, I never had before. I never had it as a child. I never had it right away up until I was about 41 years of age. But I am so, so lucky that I've found this now, that I've found this uh, just over six years ago. And it's, you know, again, like some of the things that have, you know, that have happened to me throughout the the, the years in recovery, when I left that treatment center, my one-on-one -on -one counselor sat down with me and my wife and said, if Mark loses his job, he's going to struggle. And if you, my wife, if you get sick, Mark's going to be in trouble. And I think four months, nearly to the day, my wife um, had a diagnosis of lung cancer and I didn't eat. And that was only because of having a sponsor. That was only because of going to meetings. That was only because of putting in the footwork. That was only because of crying in loads of meetings. People putting their arm around me. People helping me. People ringing me. People just saying, are you okay? And, you know, the things that helped me stay in recovery is to have a sponsor, to have sponsees, because if I don't carry this message, absolutely, uh, my sponsor spent a lot of time with me and my sponsor absolutely has given me a gift. And my, my sponsor had that as a stipulation when we started, that my sponsor said to me, you need to carry this message because that's why I'm carrying this to you. And I need to have sponsees I learn more from my sponsees than I sometimes learn from my sponsor because my sponsees are showing me 
maybe do I need to look at that? Maybe do I need to, because I've never even thought of that angle. Because when I came in, I absolutely, no, no, I know exactly what's going on, uh, blah, blah, blah. I wasn't teachable. I need to remain teachable. Every day I need to remain teachable. I needed to journal every day, write out, uh, you know, kind of, you know, on a good day, maybe a paragraph or two, just about what was going on for you. On the bad days, it, that ran into maybe several pages, but it helps you, you know, as, as Harlan says, that uncover, discover, discard. And it helps you see what's going on for you, what's beneath the hood, what's beneath the bonnet of the car, what's making you tick. Doing a 10th step. My God, doing that 10th step is absolutely so so vital and to be able to give that away to somebody Sorry, else Mark, that's time you don't think you could hear harry sorry it was that 20 minutes or no that's all of it apparently you couldn't hear harry when he announced oh sorry if sorry. you just want to wrap up that's fine yeah so basically yeah uh, do your 10 steps each day give it away to somebody else pray meditate and learn how to respond and not react and then for me, the most important one is to have a bit of fun on the way while doing it, because by God, I, there was no fun when I was in addiction. So thanks, everybody, for listening. And, um, you know, it was a pleasure and an honor to do this today. Thank you so much, Mark.